It's the LFC Agenda coming to you on International Break Week. And, well, as far as international breaks go, you've got to say this one has been pretty lively, pretty eventful and unprecedented, I guess, in terms of its drama, both on and off the pitch. Plenty of Liverpool players involved in really big matches for their countries this week and doing amazing things, particularly many of our forwards. We'll get into that. Obviously, since we last recorded, Liverpool beat Brentford 3-0. Another pretty comfortable home victory. But we're going to take the unprecedented step of not focusing on the Reds' last performance. We'll leave that till last. I want to kick off talking about Everton. I know. <laughs> Kicking off a Liverpool podcast about Everton. But potentially the ramifications of this will be far-reaching. So must know by now that Everton were referred to an independent Premier League review uh, or independent commission I should say in in breach of alleged uh, financial fair play rules. So this story actually came out I think back in February or March last season and it concerned breaches that had taken place in the 2021-2022 season. The Commission ruled that Everton were to be deducted 10 points with immediate effect. Now, this news dropped on Friday. I was busy at work and when I saw the message come through on WhatsApp, I was surprised, but I hadn't seen the points deduction. So I wasn't completely shocked. When I saw it as 10 points, I I personally thought it was pretty harsh. I know they have the right to appeal. But if we take a look at what they've been accused of, first of all, or sorry, what they've been charged with and found guilty of, um, can probably make up your own mind there. So the club actually admitted it was in breach um, and it relates to one charge. Don't forget, Man City have 115 against them. But it relates to one charge of going or exceeding the, the loss threshold. So essentially the profit and sustainability rules that the Premier League put in place uh, Everton have, have fallen foul of those. Um, there's a few things here to consider. First of all, I believe back in March, it was the likes of Leeds United and Burnley who were actually requesting that the Premier League look into this. And and at the time, from what I'm reading, the Premier League actually made a recommendation for the points deduction to be put into effect straight away. Now, we know Everton had a dog of a season last season, as they did the year before. And that actually would have taken them down had that happened because they escaped relegation by skin their teeth. I think the reason they've done it this time round and Everton can appeal is it's a bit less murky for them. Because let's say they had enforced this punishment in April or May time uh, and then they took the points away and then it ended up in Everton being relegated. But then Everton appealed and then they had to... Re- you know, reduce the points deduction, then just would have played havoc with the the relegation picture and it wouldn't have been a a good look. None of this is a good look, by the way, because ultimately you've got Man City who've got these 115 charges, which they they deny, all of them. And you have to ask yourself, how did it get to the point where they built up that many potential breaches and no one checked them? Whereas Everton have one breach... Um, you know, from the year 2022. And this is what they get hit with. 
I kind of feel sorry for them, if I'm honest with you. It's not that they've been punished. They absolutely deserve to be punished. But it's the extent of the the um, points deduction, which I feel is a bit excessive. It feels a lot like they're making an example of them. And I've never been a, a big fan of that. I believe that you should, you know, take a case on its own merits and, you know, hand out the 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 appropriate punishment. This feels to me like they want to make an example of them. They want to show that, you know, they're not to be messed with, basically. Which is funny because when you look at Chelsea and City over the years and, you know, the alleged... The alleged... <laughs> breaches that they've committed they've been quite slow to move on those haven't they so quite how they're going to handle that many charges and do anything about it anytime soon is anyone's guess but for now dealing with Everton it puts them in a situation where they're plunged into the relegation zone it was so weird I heard the news and then I refreshed the BBC league table page and I saw Everton in 19th. They started the international break in 14th, which is, you know, quite an amazing drop, even by their standards. But jokes aside, it puts them in a relega- relegation zone. And fortunately for them, there are at least three teams who are far worse than them this year, if not more. And Sean Dyche had done a pretty good job since the Anfield defeat in raising their level banging their heads together and putting them on a run that dragged them well out of that space. Now they're back in it, but I would not bet against them, even by Christmas, finding themselves clear of that that zone again. So timing-wise, it's great for them because, yeah, this is pretty much as bad a set of promoted teams as you'll, you'll find. I know we drew against Luton, but overall, I do feel that they, they are far better, the better coached. Uh, and better equipped, even with this points deduction, to to escape the relegation picture. I don't think that they'll be in that, in that fight at the end of the season. The problem they're going to have is the teams that were relegated towards the end of the season will be looking at it thinking, hang on a second, if this punishment had been enforced when it should have been, we would have had a chance of staying up. We would have had a really good chance of staying up. And, you know, that was denied. So you can then get into the very murky waters of potential lawsuits and that could actually be more damaging for Everton with their new stadium coming and you know the fact that they do need to bring in new players than anything else because ultimately they've been hammered for you know exceeding their um exceeding the the loss threshold so quite what's going to happen if some of these other clubs who I'm quite well informed are likely to look at legal action or the the chances of uh, pursuing that. Quite what effect that might have if they're successful on Everton is um, it's quite scary for them. As I said, I know it's unusual to kick off with non-LFC news, particularly where it involves the Reds' neighbours, but I thought given the size and, and the scale of the, the punishment and the fact it's wholly unprecedented I can't I can't actually remember the last team to get a points deduction I'm sure someone will, will let me know but I know there's been nothing on this scale um it's not foreign to English football because you've got the likes of Derby and other teams who've had it but 
that's because the Premier League have always been too scared to do anything, haven't they? Yeah, so it's easy to to hammer the teams in the lower leagues, but now they're trying to show their teeth. Also, I don't like to wind people up or, you know, take the mick out of other teams when, when in situations like this, because quite frankly, no one knows what's around the corner. <laughs> you don't know what other clubs may be involved and, and you know, I think that's why the banter levels are quite low here uh, across Twitter or X as it's called. I haven't seen many people um, taking a mick out of Everton. And that's simply because you don't know what's around the corner. I remember when this news came out, I was pretty taken aback by it. It was completely out of the blue. And that was, you know, earlier this year. I know Everton were warned. I know Everton accepted that there was a breach. But what's clear and what's been clear by their reaction um, post this news coming out with their official statement is that they feel they've been extremely harshly treated. It's a bit of a watch this space to see what happens and how it affects the, the rest of the league and you know what the impact will be long term. But you've got to say it's been as bad a week as it could be for the Blues. And it could be a pretty terrible week for City in the long term. If even one of those charges comes to fruition. Okay, so on to on-the-pitch action. Usually, I just really don't care about the international break too much. I'm particularly annoyed by this one because it's kind of breaking up the flow of the Premier League um, as we're getting into, you know, a crunch set of fixtures and, and you know, leading up to um, December. And I guess, particularly when you have the end to the, the, the first third of the season that, that the Premier League has enjoyed, with that amazing 4-4 draw at the bridge between Chelsea and City, uh, people kind of left wanting more, right? However, it's been great to see all of our forwards pretty much in action, doing their thing. Let's start off with Mohamed Salah, who was in action for Egypt this week against first Djibouti and then Sierra Leone. So at the time of recording, he got a assist against Sierra Leone. And uh, there was actually like a, a mini pitch invasion. <laughs> it was funny to see the, not funny haha, but unusual to see the footage on social media of him receiving a military escort off the pitch. And, uh, you know, it's just a reminder of how much of a big deal that guy is. And uh, early in the week, he'd actually plundered four goals against uh, Djibouti. I don't know where they are in international rankings, but that's never to be sniffed at whoever you achieved that against. So well done, Mohamed Salah. Dominic Sabozlai has had a fantastic week as well, grabbing uh, an assist and being robbed, I think, of his free kick that was converted into an own goal uh, in a 2-2 win against Bulgaria. And qualification was sealed when they beat uh, Montenegro 3-1. And he scored one of those slalom goals that you've seen from Diogo Jota this season. And so he actually got a double in that match and he is a red and we love it. So big up to Dominic Sabozlai for all his efforts this week and we're hoping that he can take that form into the game against City next Saturday at half 12. Darwin Nunes also had an incredible week following on from their last international break when they beat Brazil 2-0. They broke another hoodoo against Argentina who hadn't lost a match since the World Cup. 
and they beat the world champions 2-0. Darwin Nunes breaking from the halfway line and putting on the afterburners and rifling home into the corner. It was a beautiful goal to see. It reminded me a lot of the types of finishes that we saw against Newcastle. And it really feels now that that guy has the bit between his teeth. I know I've said it a lot, but even when he's not scoring, he is a big threat. And it's the same for his international team. So that's also very encouraging for the Reds. And maybe the story, you know, despite all those achievements, the story of the international break for Liverpool and the one that would have brought a lot more uh, emotion and joy uh, given the backstory to it, would have been Luis Diaz and what he achieved against Brazil. They actually went down Colombia 1-0 to... Sorry, went behind 1-0 to uh, a Martinelli shot. But Luis Diaz grabbed two goals in, I think, the space of three minutes. Uh, two headers, very poacher-esque, uh, not too dissimilar to in terms of the positions he's taken up to the the, the goal that he scored against Luton. Again, showed another side to 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 this guy that we probably didn't appreciate us Liverpool fans um, over the past year or so because we've not really seen it. The first goal he scored, the equaliser, the emotion on his dad's face, who was sitting in the stands, who, as you may recall, had um, been the victim of an awful kidnapping, and the emotion that was draining through that man's body, and what it must have meant to Luis Diaz. Um, for that moment uh, to take place in front of all those fans, in front of his home crowd, with all his family watching. I can't even imagine, but just it's just electric. It nearly brought a tear to my eye. And he, he doubled the lead and they came out 3-1 winners. So amazing week for Luis Diaz. Trent Alexander-Arnold also played for his national team this week, turning out for England and turning in a man of the match performance, which is fantastic for him. The match against Malta at Wembley itself was uh, pretty dour, let's say. Not one to remember. But it's an important one for Trent because he's been placed in that midfield role, which should open up more opportunities for him, hopefully, for the national team as they look, af- as they look forward to the tournament next year. And let's face it, frankly, Gareth Southgate doesn't like him at right back. He's got a lot of competition there. Don't need to rule off the names and know who they are. And he's going to find it hard. He's going to find it hard to get into that team. But it was great also to see him uh, find some joy this week. Right, so that's the international break. And again, it's very rare that we have so much to talk about in relation to that. Usually we're scratching for stuff to to record uh, as podcasters. Not so this week. So congrats to all the Reds. And uh, let's hope they all get back home. Without injury, without fuss, without any drama for that huge match at the Etihad this coming Saturday. Right, we didn't get a chance to talk about the 3-0 win against Brentford at Anfield, which was the Reds' last game in the Premier League. And we should, because thankfully it was another straightforward victory and another one where it was fairly comfortable. So the last match I went to was against Nottingham Forest. It was very much like that. 3-0. Pretty comfortable. Not not too much in the way of um, things to, to panic the Reds. 
Uh, although before we took the lead, there was an incredible uh, one-handed save from Allison, who came out to meet Imbo, made himself big, and uh, that was about as good as it got. And that was a concern as it was a breakaway situation, uh, not too dissimilar to what we saw against Luton um, in the previous match. However, there wasn't much more for the Reds to be concerned about, as I say. And goals from Salah and Jota sealed the victory. On the thir- in the 39th minute, Mohamed Salah received a really cute pass after a really slick move from the team uh, from Nunes, who played it into his path. And he slotted home really calmly, as we've seen him do so many times before. Second goal from Mohamed Salah came on the 62nd minute. This time, great work from Shimikas, and it will be great for his confidence to have been involved in this one. Buster got to, to make it to the byline, whipped the ball in. Uh, Mohamed Salah literally stood there, planted his head on it and cushioned it into the net. No problem, 2-0. Game done. I think at that point, Brentford were kind of in damage limitation mode. They actually became less adventurous than they were before, but that's probably because Liverpool didn't allow them to. I want to talk about Virgil van Dijk because a lot of people are now realising that he's getting back to, if not his best, then at least that level of superiority where people understand, actually, it ain't even worth taking him on. Uh, The speed, the awareness, the physicality, uh, the passing, the overall control that he has over that back four, he's making Anfield his. And it doesn't look like teams are going to come and and bully that defence whilst he's there. So long may he stay fit. So in terms of man of match performances, he'd look at Salah and his two goals and, and say, yeah, he probably deserved it but I think now Verge has that aura back so people like to talk about Diaz, Saliba these are all really good defenders I'd love to have them at Liverpool but again I think Virgil van Dijk is at that point now where he's showing peerless form and with him with uh, Dominic Sobislai, Alisson in goal and with Salah up top and the other forwards without even mentioning them Liverpool have one hell of a spine and it's going to be very difficult for any team to come to Anfield and win. And Brentford certainly weren't going to do that when on the 74th minute, uh, Diogo Jota decided, I'm going to have my say in this match as well. Took the ball on the on the edge of the box. Nice bit of footwork. Bent it into the corner. 3-0. And that's all she wrote. Nice clean sheet for Liverpool. It was really interesting to hear Jürgen Klopp's comments around the... I don't know if he was being disparaging around the style of play of Brentford because there was a period where they had like four or five corners in a row and he he did comment on on how difficult that is to defend. And often when managers talk like that about set pieces, they're not really being praiseworthy of the opposition. But that was the only way they were going to score and they didn't manage to. So again, another comfortable victory. Liverpool go into this game against City. 12.30 kickoff, 25th November, in great form in great spirits, in, if not perfect shape uh, as an away team, pretty much as dangerous as you can get in this league right now. And Man City will be fully, fully aware of that. Um, Oh, one thing to mention was we almost got a red card. I forgot about that. Endo uh, going to a 50-50 challenge with uh, Norgard. I thought the defender made a lot of it. I was quite actually disappointed by Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager's reaction kind of wagging his fingers if to say, oh, that definitely should have been a red card, he shouldn't be on the pitch. And also his comments after the match, didn't like them. 
it was a 50-50 challenge. Neither of the players had their, their boots raised at, you know, at a kind of dangerous level. They crunched into each other and luckily the referee didn't see anything wrong of it. However, there was a VIR check and you know, had that gone against us, it would have felt really unfair. We're turning into to red card FC out here. So let, let's make sure we can keep all of our players off suspensions because we've had enough of those. I think in Endo's case, he's got a very, very good chance of starting that game against City because, quite frankly, there will be a lot of defending to to be done. It's just a case of whether Jürgen thinks he can trust him or if he'd rather go with the safe option that he's he's chosen with uh, McAllister in operating that role. But City, for all their injury problems with with, uh, De Bruyne not being there and Haaland picking up a knock, although I'm expecting to see him fit for that game. And for all of the challenges they've had defensively, we saw them at the bridge, they conceded four goals, which is very unlike them. They do pose a huge threat, particularly when you go into that ground. Jeremy Doku is a player who is definitely one to watch. He's a complete speed merchant, but with a lot of end product, and he's been another great signing for for Pep Guardiola. So I expect the likes of him to, to have a... A big impact in that game, and I expect fireworks for that match. This is going to be first against second. It's been a while since we've been able to say that. I think you're going to have to go back to towards the end of 2022 when it just turned into one of those hunt them down, hunt them down. We've run out of games, and again they won on the last game of this in the last game of the season. But the good thing I think now is that unlike in previous seasons. This encounter at the Etihad comes first and the Anfield game will come second. I think it's sometime in in March, perhaps. But it's nice to have it now because if we can get a point, even if we lose, right, but we put in a performance that just shows who we really are, as disappointing as that would be, it would still give me encouragement for us at the very least securing, you know, that second spot which I think is where we want to get back to as a minimum this season. And not a lot of people I know, including Liverpool fans, would have said that coming into this season. But it's definitely what I had my eye on, particularly in light of the end to the season we had and the fact that we've got all these fantastic players that have come in and we've still got Mohamed Salah and we've still got Jurgen Klopp. So I'm hugely optimistic, but also realistic in the sense that I do believe City are more than likely to win this league. But I feel that we're going to be the team to push them. So we're going to get some clues as to whether I'm right there on the Saturday. It's going to be it's going to be an incredible spectacle. I'm pretty sure of that. No matter what the kickoff time and the grumblings of the respective managers, I do get it. But this is the Premier League, and given what's happened to Spurs recently, losing their uh, last two games, devastating final minute loss against Wolves. Given the fact that. You know, Arsenal are scratching around a bit for consistency in terms of their attacking play, but they'll definitely be there. They'll definitely be around. And looking at the gap between fifth and first place, which is five points, which is hugely unusual in November. When you think of all these things, I just think there's definitely going to be a title race, which is great to see. And I'm hoping that we'll be the ones to, to push City all the way. If not, be the ones to lead the table. And be chased. Well, we'll soon have our answer, won't we? All right, Reds, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much once again for your time, for your ears. And please do leave us a top rating on the podcast engine of your choice. 
wherever you're listening, leave a nice comment because it does help as we are, uh, you know, we're, we're new in this game, but uh, we're trying to stick around and trying to, you know, build on this thing and, and bring you interesting perspectives on, on what's happening with this team. Have a good week. Keep warm, keep safe. You never walk alone.